Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to a podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. We. Wednesday, February 2021, people. I hope everybody is having a great day. We got a different show for you today. I'm going to go ahead and call it No Hot Take Tuesday, even though it's technically Wednesday, and here is why. I'm actually going to open the show, frankly, with probably the biggest story in all of sports right now, really all of society. That is the Tiger Woods situation. I know we don't normally talk golf or Tiger or this or that, but this is the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. It's a serious topic, and I do believe that it needs to be addressed. And so we're going to open with Tiger Woods, just a quick four, five, six minutes on it, just what's going on, what you need to know going forward, the big picture ramifications of what happened on Tuesday as it appears as though Tiger Woods will be okay, but it is going to be a long, long road to recovery for an absolute sports icon. We will transition to a much lighter, more fun topic with college hoops. Busy Tuesday night in college hoops, and that's why I'm calling it No Hot Take Tuesday, because my big hot take is that I don't take much out of what happened Tuesday night. I will explain. I actually think there's a very good reason for the, reason, for the way things played out on Tuesday night. And then finally, talk about a fun interview on the back end. Fun, fun, fun stuff. Sean Farnham, ESPN, returns to the show for the second time this season. The first guest ever. If you listen to the first interview I did with him, I've never had a guest demand that they be invited back, but that's exactly what Sean Farnham did last time he was on the show. Sean Farnham joins me, and he is just on absolute fire as we talk about all sorts of college hoop stuff, the season as a whole, getting to the finish line, COVID, uh, all these teams. And like, I have never heard him this fired up. And I say this as somebody who loves Sean Farnham, what he's about and what he does. I believe he is the best college basketball analyst going. I've said often, I believe he's college basketball's Kirk Herbstreet. He needs to be uh, featured more because he's incredible, but he is a friend of the Aaron Torres podcast. He loves coming on with me and I always appreciate his time. I know you will love that interview. Sean Farnham joining me later. But I do want to start with a much, much, much more serious topic. And that is, of course, what happened on Tuesday morning with Tiger Woods. And you don't need me to tell you that it was a very scary situation. Tiger Woods in a single car crash, whatever you want to call it. His car flipped over two, three, four times, whatever. He had to be extracted and he had to be rushed to a hospital um, in LA for emergency surgery. 
And I know that we don't normally talk this kind of stuff, but again, sometimes in life there are bigger topics than a game, a result, a tournament, a event, a whatever. And this was a very scary situation involving a sports icon, and we got to talk about it. And so let me start just very simply by saying, uh, you know, I, I know I speak for everybody when I say, let's just all say a small prayer for Tiger Woods. I know that according to all reports, his injuries are non-life-threatening. It appears as though he will survive, but as we'll get into in a minute, uh, it's going to be a long road to recovery. His actual golf future is very much in jeopardy, uh, and it's just a continuation of, of a decade of just struggles for this guy away from the course. And I know some of it is self-inflicted. There was obviously a situation with his wife. There was a situation where he passed out in his car, and it was later found out that he had taken too many painkillers. So I'm not sitting here and saying that Tiger Woods is a saint and all these bad things are happening. But when you take those two situations, when you take all of his injuries on the course, I looked it up, five back surgeries that he's had at this point, uh, knee surgery for a torn ACL, and now a car crash. It's just one bad thing after another for this poor guy. And like I said, I, I just hope he makes uh, a full recovery and he is able to do the things that he loves, which appear to be, most importantly, uh, spending time with his kids and his loved ones. And that is one thing I will give Tiger Woods credit for, is that he believe, uh, he appears to be a very caring and loving father. We just saw him on the course a few weeks ago with his son, Charlie, playing and that was a really awesome moment and frankly you know I just hope Tiger Woods gets more of those uh, a couple things I, I know a lot of you and, and what I want to do over the next couple minutes is kind of contextualize what happened on uh, on Tuesday and to be clear again this isn't hot take tour like this isn't what that's about what this is about is that Tiger Woods is an icon you guys are busy you're driving to work you're driving home from work you're at the gym you're doing whatever it is that you do you don't have time to look up every single detail of this report and so I, again I just want to contextualize it for you and so first of all what I would say is as I said a minute ago non-life-threatening injuries which is obviously great news but it doesn't mean that they are not very, very, very serious injuries. And I'm not going to try to break down what it all means and what, what happened and what the doctors did. All I can tell you is what I read, what I heard on SportsCenter right before I started recording. And what it sounds like is it's going to be a long road to recovery for Tiger Woods uh, just to do normal things again. Forget golf, and we'll get into golf in a minute, but it's going to be a long process. Um, you know, I, I was reading uh, Dr. Chow. He's a, a medical expert, former San Diego Chargers, now LA Chargers team doctor. He comes on my radio show often. He said that, that this is going to be a long, long, long recovery process. The idea of even playing golf in 2021 is completely out of the question. I saw on SportsCenter, Lindsay Theory, another person that I know on ESPN, said that they are doing surgeries just to set up the next round of surgeries, and that, again, this is going to be a very long process on the road to recovery. And so I think that is the first and most important thing that you just, in terms of what you need to know. If you were hoping to see Tiger Woods on the course in, in a month, two months, three months, that ain't going to happen. Um, and I'll just be blunt, without being a doctor, just reading other doctors and smart people, you know, I think we need to start thinking about a world where it's going to be a very long time before Tiger Woods plays golf again if he plays at all. And again, in the grand scheme, I understand golf is not important. This guy, you know, 
whatever. It was a scary situation. Golf is second, you know, to, to everything else. But obviously, we, we all love watching him golf. He loves playing golf. And I think we all hoped in that 2019 Masters, when he won the Masters two years ago, that that was going to be the start of this incredible uh, recovery story and this incredible comeback. And it does not appear as though it's going to happen. First of all, I mean, this was a guy that was battling all sorts of stuff even before this circumstance happened, this situation with the car crash on Tuesday. As I said, five back surgeries, one recently, bad knee, and now you add this on top of all of that at 45 years old, and I think we have to accept that this is probably, that we probably live in a world where Tiger Woods may never play golf again, according to what I'm reading, and if he does, to expect him to come back and play at a high level probably just isn't going to happen, not just because of this injury that happened in the car crash, but also what has happened previously uh, with all his other surgeries. The second thing I would say is, listen, some of you are going to be mad at me for saying this. I just feel bad for the guy. And I know that, again, many of his issues have been self-inflicted, his situation with his wife, um, you know, uh, uh, you know the, the, the painkillers. I'm not excusing what he has done. But what I will tell you also is, for all the money, all the fame, all the success, Everything that he has that we all envy, the private jets and the money and the this and the that, he hasn't had an easy life. And, and, and I go back to, uh, I read that biography that was written by Armin Katayan. I don't know how many of you have had a chance to read it. It is one of the best sports biographies I have ever read. If you do nothing else, if you take nothing else out of this besides uh, what I talk about with Sean Farnham later, uh, take, take, if you take nothing else away, take this. When you have a minute, go get that book, order it off Amazon, because it is one of the most eye-opening things that I've ever read. Again, for all the success, this was a guy that, that didn't have much of a childhood, didn't have friends, didn't really associate with people outside of his father and his mother, very tough childhood for a, a, a single child uh, with, with, with the circumstances that he was raised in, and yes, it all ended up working out. He made a lot of money, all that stuff. But what is money uh, without happiness and without the people around you to share it with? And he, to this day, I think has has a small circle because of it. And so I do feel bad. I do encourage you to read that book because even though, again, he has all the money in the world, what is it worth if he can't share it with friends, family, loved ones? Um, and it has not been easy for Tiger Woods if you go read the book. And I'm not talking about the decisions that he made with his wife and all that stuff. I'm talking about before that he did not have an easy childhood. And this, while not related to any of that, is just the next thing that he has to overcome. And I, and I do feel genuinely bad for him. Finally, the last thing I'll say, and then we will get to some much lighter, fun conversation about college hoops and stuff, is this has to be another reminder to all of us, myself included. Uh, go hug a loved one. Call somebody. Tell them you love them. Because, man, I mean, I don't know about you guys. I don't want to, you know, push my thoughts onto you guys, but I don't. I, I immediately thought when I saw the report, when I saw the headline, I thought of Kobe Bryant. I thought of that, that pit in my stomach, the way that we all walked around for days and weeks just in a haze about the idea that this guy that we loved watching, that we loved uh, you know, having in our lives was no longer with us. Now, thankfully, Tiger Woods is okay, but this just shows you. He's driving down the road, maybe going a little bit too fast according to the police reports, but... 
it, he almost lost it all. And somebody almost lost their father. Somebody almost lost their son. And it just it, it made me realize again how important all this is, how precious this is. Um, and so go hug, hug a loved one. That's my last thing. I promise. Let's get to some fun stuff. Let's get to some loose stuff. But I did want to just briefly touch on Tiger Woods because it is the biggest topic in sports. All right, let's transition to something much lighter and much more fun. And first of all, again, it just felt like the right thing to do to talk a little Tiger. But but I do want to get to some fun stuff because, again, this is supposed to be a fun podcast. And what I want to talk about is the night that was in college basketball. And if you weren't in front of a TV, let me just tell you, kind of random, Tuesday night, didn't feel like a huge slate going in. It turned into one of the craziest nights of college basketball season. Illinois loses to Michigan State. Oklahoma loses to maybe the worst Power 5 team in all of college basketball. That is Kansas State, who is abysmal. Like, Kansas State is probably out of 350-something teams, probably in the bottom third. Like, they're worse than Bellarmine. They're worse than Santa Barbara. Like, they're really bad, and they just beat Oklahoma. Baylor played the closest game that they have played all year. And when I look at the totality of what happened on Tuesday night, I think there's going to be a lot of people in college, about, oh my God, upset city, what does it all mean? And instead, I'm going to do the exact opposite. Because I know you come here and I don't, first of all, you love my passion, you love my honesty, you love my sincerity, you love the fact that sometimes I'm not afraid to say something controversial. But to me, I don't think there's anything big, controversial, crazy to talk about other than this. I think I know why these teams didn't play well. And I think I know why other teams struggled over the weekend. And I think I know why some teams just are not playing as well as they were two, three, four weeks ago. And it's a very simple reason. I think a lot of people are tired. I think the players are tired. I think the coaches are tired. I think you guys as fans are tired. And I think everybody's just about ready to just get to March, get this tournament going, get in the games that matter, and get this season done. And I love college hoops, and I wish college hoops season went on 11 months out of the year. But I do believe that in even a normal season, we get to this point, and especially this year with COVID, I kind of believe that we're just at a point where I think a lot of these guys are just burned out and ready to get to March. And when I think about this topic, I think of kind of a funny story. Uh, About two, three years ago, some of you old school listeners that have been with the show forever, you may remember that, again, about two, two and a half years ago, uh, I had Robbie Hummel on the podcast, very random, but I had a Robbie Hummel on. Um, he is now with Big Ten Network, ESPN, I think, really a rising star. He hosts a podcast with Jeff Goodman. And I had Robbie Hummel on the show. And I remember asking him, I said, Robbie, dude, like, I feel like I, as a college basketball fan, hit a wall sometime in like mid to late February, right? Where it's just like, I've seen every team a million times. I know how they play. I know what they're going to do. I know when I turn on Texas Tech, they're gonna, it's going to be a two-point game, and they're going to give the ball to Mac McClung, and he's either going to make a play or he's not. I know when I tune into Alabama, they're going to shoot a bunch of threes. I know when I tune into LSU, they're going to score a lot of points and give up a lot of points, and Cam Thomas might go crazy. Like I know this. I know USC is going to block a lot of shots because Evan Mobley's awesome. And so I said to him, I said, you know, I as a fan get to a point where I'm just like, man, I'm just ready to get to March. Like, I'm just kind of over this season. And I said to him, I said, did you ever feel that way as a player? Like, do you ever get to that point as a player where you're just like, dude, I'm just ready to get to March? He said, absolutely. He said, dude, 
you get to a point where it's like in, you're in conference play. You've been playing conference games for seven, eight weeks. You're seeing teams for a second time. They know what you're going to run. You know what they're, they're going to run. You're tired of the coach. You're tired of the coaching staff. You're tired of your teammates, and you're just ready for a break. And so I thought of that conversation when I was watching college basketball on Tuesday night because to me, again, I know all these other college basketball podcasts, these guys are all great at what they do, but they're going to come on on Wednesday morning, oh my God, Illinois lost to Michigan State. Can Illinois not win the national championship? Has Michigan State turned a corner? And maybe Michigan State has turned a corner. But to me, what this, that game was about was not like Michigan State all of a sudden being this incredible team, but instead what it was to me was just like, I think Illinois is tired. Like, you look at Illinois. They're basically a team that really hasn't had uh, a break, really, for lack of a better term, all season. We're at the point now, we're at the end of February, the last week of February. They have played 22 games, which is five more than Michigan, six more than Michigan. You know, one of them, they played almost as many games as anybody in the Big Ten at this point in the season. Baylor playing a close game against Iowa State. Do I think it means Baylor stinks? No. I think what it says to me is that Baylor just came off a COVID pause and is like, dude, that was our second pause. We were playing as well as anybody in the country, and you made us stop, and we couldn't practice, and we couldn't do anything. We're over this season. Get us to March. Get us to the games that matter. Get us to the Big 12 tournament. Get us to the NCAA tournament, and let's finish this thing up. That's just what I feel. I feel like that's where we are with this season in college basketball. And I know it's not popular. I know it's not fun to talk about, but I think it's the reality. The other thing I would say, a couple other things. First of all, think about the fact that what I just said, that every year, even the best teams and the best players hit a wall in mid-February where they're just tired, they're worn down, they're beat up, their bodies are beat up, they've been traveling, they haven't had time to take a break, they didn't get to go home for Christmas. Then imagine that on top of what is going on right now in college hoops with everything that we've talked about all season, with the fact that, as I just said a minute ago, many teams have had to start and stop at least once. My alma mater, UConn's had three different COVID pauses. I know UConn would never say it. I know Danny Hurley would never say it. I know James Booknight would never say it. But I'm telling you, you don't think that team is just like, dude, I'm over these regular season games. Get us to March. If you get us in the tournament, that's where we want to be. We just want to do some damage. We want to get this thing over with. Same with Baylor, like I said. And think about this season as a whole. Again, starts, stops, everything that these guys have gone through. We talk about it all the time, but it's worth repeating. They don't get to be students. If you're already burned out in a normal season by the middle of February, imagine this year where your entire existence as a human being is go from the dorms to the practice facility to a game, back to the dorms, back to the practice facility, to a hotel, back to the practice facility, whatever. You don't think you'll be burned out? You don't think Illinois is just like ready to get going? You don't think Baylor's ready to get going? And that's what I saw when I watched College Hoops on Tuesday. And the one thing I would say going forward is a couple things. One, it reminds me of, a, of something a buddy of mine said uh, A buddy of mine said early in the preseason. He said to me, he goes, dude, Torres, I'm just telling you one thing. Um, he said, dude, I, the one thing I would warn you, watch out for teams that do not like each other. Because when you get to February and you're around these guys all the time, you're going to be wiped out and exhausted and you better have a group that likes each other. That was the first thing I thought of. I was watching college basketball on Tuesday. I was like, I think there's some teams that are just like over each other and they just want to get to March. But the second thing I would say is this is just part of the deal and it is an unprecedented season 
And I think that as I watch the games on Tuesday, I think we're at a point now where every single night is just going to be a total crapshoot over the next 10 days until we get to conference tournaments. You look at what happened on Tuesday night. Rather than breaking that, spending 10 minutes breaking down Illinois, just think about this. Who had more to play for on Tuesday night? Was it Illinois or was it Michigan State? Probably Michigan State, right? Michigan State was a team back against the wall trying to make an NCAA tournament. Come out, get the win. UConn and Georgetown, who had more to play for on Tuesday night? Probably UConn, right on the bubble. Georgetown was playing well, but that was a win that UConn absolutely could not afford to to lose. That was a game that UConn could absolutely not afford to lose. Who had more to play for Tuesday night, Kansas or Texas? You could say Kansas, they're not playing well, but I would say Texas. Coming off a bunch of losses, blew a huge lead against West Virginia. They had players fighting on the bench. You're kind of like, is this team, like, are they in trouble? No, they got a win because they needed a win. And so when I look at this, what I think that came out of Tuesday night was one very simple thing. I think, one, I think guys are tired. And two, I think the next two weeks until we get to conference tournaments are going to be solely about just getting through. And the team that needs it more, I think, is going to be the one that has success. The team that needs a win for seeding or for to clinch a regular season title or whatever it is, that is going to be the team that has success. I also don't think it should be surprising what we saw on Tuesday where a couple different things happened. One, uh, the Big 12 is talking about actually taking games off the schedule going forward because of the fact that they're just like, dude, again, for the thousandth time, our teams are tired. We'd rather them play fewer games, get healthier for the games that matter in the conference tournament and the NCAA tournament than try to squeeze in six games over an eight-day period to end the season. I would also add, I thought it was very interesting to back up the point that I'm making John Calipari came out and said something about how they had the opportunity to add games this week at Kentucky and that he basically just said, look, no, we're good, man. We're good. Our guys need some time off. We haven't really had a break. We're just going to chill this week. We'll get ready for Florida on Saturday and we'll close out the season. Anyway, I think that's it. I think that's it for this segment of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. A little different, a little different. Sorry I didn't spend... 20 minutes breaking down Illinois, Michigan State. I know you guys are probably devastated that I didn't do a 10-minute Io DeSumo rant, uh, but it just felt like, one, the Tiger Woods stuff was really important, and two, as I watch college hoops, it just feels like everybody's hitting a wall. And I know that I'm hitting a wall as a consumer of this. I know that you guys are probably hitting a wall wondering, is your team good enough to actually make a run in the NCAA tournament or make the tournament or whatever it is? And so I'm not surprised that we had the results that we did. But anyway, enough from me. All right, let's get out of here. Let's get to Sean Farnham. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter at Aaron Torres pod on Instagram. As I told you the other day, if you do want to advertise as part of Kentucky Sports Radio during March, feel free to reach out to me at Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. I will pass it along to the appropriate people. But I think that's it for today's podcast or at least my segment of the podcast. And now it is time for a great interview with Sean Farnham. I should mention, by the way, Thursday show, fun interview with Mike Boynton 
the Oklahoma State head coach, will rejoin me. He joined me in the summer. We're going to talk about this season where we thought they were going to be on probation, but now they're not on probation. They're probably going to play in the NCAA tournament. We'll talk about all that stuff. That's Thursday's episode. But coming up now, Sean Farnham, ESPN, one of the most intense, dialed-in guys in college hoops. Great interview with Sean Farnham. You guys are really going to love it. But that's all for today's show from my portion. Shout-out to Torrent Craig. Shout-out to Rachel Who Hates My Voice. Here is Sean Farnham. All right, joining me via Zoom, uh, regular guest, friend of the show, first man to ever demand a return to the show, Sean Farnham, ESPN, Sirius XM. Sean, you are still to date the only person that demanded that you come back after last appearance about four, five, six weeks ago. How you doing, my man? I'm doing well. I just thought that, you know, given the fact that we talked at that point in time where we were as far as COVID tests and COVID cases across the country, very different than where we are at now. Um, and so much uncertainty then, and yet still here we are six weeks later. I think we still have a lot of uncertainty in particular with conference tournaments, uh, how they're going to come about, how they're going to be run. Uh, So I figured why not, why not demand more time with you? I mean, again, I might be the only person in the world that actually demands that. Literally my wife's the opposite. She's like, call Farnham, get, get away from me, bro. Yeah. So you're, but that's cool. So, all right. So, you know what? That's a kind of a cool place to start. I was going to start somewhere else, but, but conference tournaments, I mean, you mentioned it last time and you said, look, you know, you, you just show up to work. You're not claiming to have any inside information, but this has been kind of a talking point over the last probably two, three, four weeks. Reports are a school like Gonzaga, BYU could consider not showing up. You know, they're going to happen. I've talked about it a lot, but but what is the possibility that some of these marquee programs that quote unquote don't need a conference tournament aren't involved? Almost zero at this point in time. They're, they're going to play. Okay. I mean, Gonzaga is going to be in Las Vegas. I'd be shocked if they are not. Um, I, I think it might change the, the way they travel. Uh, how early do they arrive in Vegas? Do they arrive day of on that Monday? Or are they arriving in on a Saturday like they normally do, practicing on Sunday, pra- shoot around on Monday? I could see them getting up in Spokane, leaving day of game, coming right into town, landing, going straight to a walkthrough at a private gym off the strip, uh, and then checking in their hotel, playing a game, locking it down, film session, get up the next day, win a championship, and have that charter plane gassed up and ready to go as soon as the championship's over. I, I would anticipate that that's what Mark Few is going to do. Um, and I'm not, you know, look, I call more Gonzaga games than anybody in the country. Um, but Mark Mark told me last week, look, if, if playing us helps somebody else get in the NCAA tournament, if playing us, uh, you know, cements BYU and they, they beat us for whatever reason in the conference championship game and BYU beats us and it, it moves them up two seed lines and it gets them the opportunity to advance in the tournament, then that's my responsibility to the conference. And so I think the messaging has been kind of mixed. I, like, look, he's questioned whether or not to go to Vegas to do it, uh, but the tournament's not moving out of Vegas. Very good. So let me ask you kind of a – so, you know, I swore. I, every college basketball conversation starts with Baylor and Gonzaga this year, and frankly, as it should. But it's like there's 340-whatever other teams in the country, and I wasn't going to start on Gonzaga-Baylor. But I, I will ask, you just said, You've called more Gonzaga games than anybody. Um, I think a lot of people, frankly, probably haven't watched them very closely in two, three, four months, not not four months, but two months, because none of these games have been competitive. 
Where are you at on them right now, uh, as opposed to when they were beating the brakes off of, uh, you know, Kansas and West Virginia and all them early? Not to say that they're not still good, but they haven't really been challenged in any way, shape, or form in probably two months now. Uh, they're beating teams by 40. They're getting by. They, they score so easily. Is it at all a concern, or are they just that good? Let me ask you this. I'm going to pose the question back to you okay. because people always, always say this. Well, they're beating the socks off of everybody. Okay. That's sure. accurate. That is not a lie. All right. How'd that game against Kansas go? Was that close? No, it was not. Okay. How about the uh, Virginia contest? Cause their defense is elite. How much did Gonzaga <laughs> score against them? Uh, a little bit more than Duke did this weekend, but uh, yeah. your point still 98, yes. 98. Okay. On two days of practice, they beat Iowa. Wow. On two days of practice coming off of COVID pause, they went to, flew to the Midwest and beat Iowa. And the game was never in doubt. It was never in doubt. I don't care what the final score, never in doubt. They lose Jalen Suggs for a majority of the game against West Virginia. And that's the closest game they've had all season long. So when we look at the margins of victory, it's a, such a lazy narrative to me, honestly. And I'm not calling you lazy. I'm saying it's a lazy narrative across the country. Oh, they're just, they're just beating up on the WCC. They're not going to be tournament ready. Okay, well, if they didn't have any success in the NCAA tournament, I would buy that. But this is a program that has consistently found success in the NCAA tournament. This is a program that has played for a national championship in recent years. This is a program that last year would have had a chance to win a national championship last year. And this year, they have even a better chance to win a national championship. I think what we're seeing right now, and this is hard. This is hard for anybody to do. Let's take Saturday, for example. You're playing a USD team that has played essentially one game in like two months. Seriously. Like San Diego has, San Diego legitimately has played less games and had more games canceled or paused or postponed than any team that didn't postpone their entire season. Wow. That's a fact. That's objective. It's not subjective. Sam Scholl's team hasn't played. You're Gonzaga. They're coming to your floor. You know you're favored by 32, even if you don't look at the lines. You're favored by 32. You know you're going to beat the brakes off of them, right? Mm -hmm. Do you come out and be like, I'm going to get mine? Do you see selfish tendencies? No. Do you see lapses where they're resting on defense and giving up buckets that they shouldn't? No. Instead, they were up 30 at halftime. 30 at halftime. They scored 106 points, and their starters didn't play for the final 12 minutes of the game. So they could have had 120 if they really wanted to. Got Multiple guys could have had 30. Timmy could have had 30 the last three times they played. They play against USF. USF is the only other team in the non-conference that beat Virginia, and for a long period of time, it was only two WCC teams that beat Virginia. And Drew Timmy could have had 40 if Mark Few wanted him to play that game. I watched that game, yeah. So what I see is a team that is more dialed in and more connected at the defensive end of the floor. Their defensive efficiency numbers have improved dramatically. And people will say, well, isn't that about competition? No, that's where the efficiency part comes into play. They take all that into account to break down the numbers and the computers pick it out. Ken Pomeroy, he spits out the numbers. I don't know how he does it. I'm not a, you know, a science professor at Utah. Like, I, I, I don't know. But all I know is I look at the numbers and I know that there's a great barometer of being elite and regardless of your schedule. And this Gonzaga team is more bought at the defensive end of the floor. They don't rely on the three-point shot. 
That's the biggest misnomer about this team. They're scoring all these points, and they rarely do it from the, beyond the arc. Corey Kispert is an elite-level three-point shooter, even though he struggled a little bit as of late. But the rest of it is moving, cutting, spacing without the ball. And I don't care what defense you play. I don't care how you try to match up to them. It's going to be hard to stop. Think about the different styles of play they've played against this year. Has anybody slowed them down? Not that I'm aware of. Nope. Not that I can think of. So, you know, like what, and when we get to the NCAA tournament, often we go, oh, like, you know, we don't want to buy Alabama because they rely on the three-point shot. That's a, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a, let's put a pin in that and say, that's a statement that we can make. And we're, how many times do we get to the NCAA tournament where teams that are three-point shooting teams have an off night, they struggle, they get bounced? A lot, yep. Gonzaga doesn't rely on the three. Are they capable of making threes? Yeah. Andrew Nemhard can make a three. Corey Kispert is elite. Suggs can make a three. Drew Timmy is shooting threes and making them. They got guys that can make threes. They just don't have to because their spacing, movement, and sense of purpose at the offensive end is that much better than everybody else's, period. I some point we'll give – I swear, I didn't want to go like too deep on Gonzaga because everybody asks about Gonzaga – uh, I do what some but why point not? Where... They're a great team. I know they are. They're, they're like we say good teams. And Baylor's there. Michigan's there too, by the way. It's not a one, it's not a one team race for a national championship here. And being a great team also, by the way, Kentucky was a great team when they went 38 and one. That was a great team. They didn't win the national championship. They didn't even play for it. It doesn't diminish how great of a team that was. If if Gonzaga takes a loss before the Sweet 16, it's disappointing. If Gonzaga takes a loss in the Elite Eight or a, or a Final Four, some people will say, well, that's a disappointing year. No, it's not. Are you kidding me? Look at what they've done. Do you know how hard it is? Like, Raptors fans were all upset, you know, last year when people questioned their 15-game winning streak. But it's hard to win 15 games in a row. Sure. Okay, so what are they doing? You know, we haven't seen Baylor for a while. Baylor canceled some of their most significant games that they had remaining on their schedule, the Texas Tech game. Of course, then the two West Virginia games as well. We've been we've missed the Baylor Bears, but I anticipate that their return to play will be similar to that of which we saw out of Michigan, which is means that they'll be elite. And so for me, that's where I'm at right now. So what I was gonna ask you was so since you've been around all these shoot-arounds practices, you clearly have some sort of relationship with Coach Few. How, how are they so good? Because, you know, we last time you were on, we talked about Jalen Suggs, their highest rated recruit ever. They're now going to be able to bring in a different caliber of recruit with him as a blueprint. But we're talking top 50, top 60, top 70 prospects, Joel Ayayi, uh, my favorite name in the sport. Uh, you know, I've seen interviews with him where he said, I wasn't good enough to play here my freshman year. I didn't feel like I belonged. And now he's probably maybe a first round NBA draft pick. Like, like, how do they do it? Because um, it'd be one thing if they're going 30 and two every year, you know, 18 and 0 in the WCC or whatever. But as you said, destroyed Virginia, destroyed Kansas, destroyed Iowa, destroyed. Like, how do they like what is the secret sauce that allows them to get these players to develop these players? Because you can't use the well, they just recruit better players than everybody. Consistency and staff. Consistency in staff is huge. Um, they know exactly who they are. They know exactly how they want to play. I showed a, uh, a, a role of the big men that have had huge success in the NBA, the recent success of bigs. And it was, we're showing the video. My producer pulled all the clips. I didn't pull the clips. 
And all of them at Gonzaga, where are they looking first as soon as they catch the ball on the block? Middle. Why? Because that's how they're trained. By the way, you watch them play in the pros, they're doing the same thing. That's why they're successful. They have a way of doing it. They, and they develop guys. And they're not afraid to have you redshirt. Like Kelly Olynyk redshirted. Kelly Olynyk. He redshirted at Gonzaga. That's what turned him into a pro. Mm-hmm. Player development, trust, and communication. Like, if you have those, you have a great program. If you can develop players and they trust you to the point where they'll be like, yeah, no, sure, I'll redshirt. You tell a kid they have to redshirt right now. What is, what's the most likely thing they're going to do, Aaron? Commit to another school. Transfer portal. Okay, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, if yeah, they're there. The like, Kelly was already there. He had already played. And yeah. they were like, yeah, you're going to have to redshirt next year. Nope, transfer portal, I'm out. Yep, yep, yep. Find an easier path. No, mm-hmm. that's not the best answer. The best answer is going through adversity. Best answer is when things aren't going right, you get better. You know, you tell a kid when you come in, hey, you're not going to play a lot your freshman year, Rui, because we got pros in front of you. But don't worry, you're going to be okay. Do you know how much trust and faith you have to put into a coach to actually believe that? A ton. So the messaging is very clear. And there's other coaches that do this. There's other coaches that have great success with this. Mark's just done it a little bit higher. Look, he's the winningest active coach in in the NCAA. His winning percentage is better than everybody else's. And the people that that drive around and people that might listen to this podcast on the East Coast go, oh, well, Farnham's just a West Coast guy. And, you know, he covers them all the time. So that's why he's saying that, you know, if you put them in the ACC, they wouldn't be successful. Yeah, they would. They beat Zion yeah, they and would. Duke. They were the only you know, team for like three months to beat Zion and RJ Barrett. Uh, you put them in the Big 12, they wouldn't be successful. Yes, they would. You put them in the Big 10, they wouldn't be successful. Yes, they would. Now, would they be undefeated? Probably not. Probably not. The grind is too hard. I get it. The grind is different in those conferences. I'm well aware of that. You put them in the Pac-12, they might go undefeated this year. (laughs) Yeah. And they might not play a game that's close. They're that much better than everybody else. So I'm going to go super deep existential here. I don't even know if I said that word right. But, um, you know, you talk about redshirting. Scott Drew, I had him on last year, too busy this year being, you know, undefeated, can't can't make a little time for Torres, whatever, no big deal. Um, You know, he talked about he every single player that he brings into the program, he offers them that opportunity, uh, even guys that come in for four years, because he now has a track record of guys that it worked for you. It worked for this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, Davion Mitchell, who will probably be drafted this year. And the question is the existential question, Villanova, Baylor. Gonzaga to a degree Virginia these are programs that they all they don't recruit elite players and this and that do you think this is where the future of college basketball is going and the only reason I ask is this is not a knock on Kentucky Duke whatever they're, they're always going to get the best players that play college basketball but with the G League now being an option with clearly kids we love college. You and I love college basketball. People listening love college basketball, but kids don't necessarily want to be in college basketball for three, four, five years. Are you going to have to be able as a program, whether you are Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, or Gonzaga, Baylor, Virginia, to develop players, to find guys that are willing to redshirt? Because to me, I don't even think it's just a this year thing. I think it's clear that over the last five, six, seven years, the programs that have developed players are the the ones that at the highest level have had success again, not criticizing Duke, Kansas, Kentucky, whatever. Okay. Let's, let's talk about development of players. Like you're talking about guys like Sadiq Bay. How's he doing right now in the NBA? I don't watch a ton of NBA, but I think he's doing well. He's doing very well. 
It's doing okay. very well. All right. So there's there's a guy. So we're gonna lose out on the top like five or six, seven recruits. That means out of the top 100. We're that's how many seven. Mm-hmm. Still means we get 93 of them. Yep. Like we're still gonna have Devin Booker's. You're still gonna have Trey Young. Like you're still gonna have dudes that come in and are really, really good. And by the way, you talk to Cade Cunningham, he'll tell you, look, me going to college was the best decision I made instead of going to the G League. I'm not riding around on a bus. I didn't just sit in a quarantine hotel in, in Walnut Creek, California, and just do skill development practices every single day. I've been playing against great competition on ESPN. You guys talking about me all the time. My brand value is going through the roof. Like, it depends on how players look at it. If you want to go do that, that's great. More power to you. But I think the college game has always been about development of talent. I think the co- the best programs have always been the ones that foster that environment, whether it was Duke before the one and done era or even now learning how to do this. John Calipari should be commended that this is the first time this thing has had a hiccup. Why? Because it's hard. He and his staff have to reinvent a culture every single year and pray that the recruiting that they did, that all the pieces come together and start looking like they're supposed to look. And when you close your eyes, if you didn't watch any college basketball until last weekend, and you watch Kentucky play against Tennessee, and you see Tennessee ranked, and you hear us talking all year long, Tennessee's defense is elite. Tennessee's defense is so good. Tennessee, okay, maybe they have some problems offensively, but defensively they're so good. And, you know, Jane Springer has been really playing well, and and Johnson, they've they've just done so well lately. I think this team is really starting to, oh, my gosh, Kentucky just smacked them. Mm -hmm. Oh, Duke is horrible. Duke's not making the NCAA tournament. Oh, Duke just beat Virginia. Well, you know, Carolina, they're not the same. They're really, they, they beat Louisville by 40. Oh, well, Kansas, you know, Kansas fell out of the poll for the first time since 2009. And boy, this isn't the same Bill Self. T- oh, they've won six out of seven. And they beat Texas Tech. Huh. Oh, I know. I know where we can go. Tom Izzo and Michigan State. Boy, Tom Izzo and Michigan State, they're so bad. You know, they're just, just it's not working for them this year. They, you know, you know, Indiana's gonna go in there and just get another victory and help improve their tournament res. Oh. Oh, Trace Jackson Davis had 34 and they lost. Oh, oh, Michigan State started to you mean they're starting to look like Tom Izzo coach team? The journey throughout the course of the season is different. The arcs and the trajectory of the journeys this year is even more abnormal. Lack of practice times, pauses. Every team's journey has been different. Not one is the same. Like UCLA really hasn't had any disruptions since the start of the season, knock on wood, for my Bruins. No disruptions since the start of the season. That's amazing. In LA, but they, they somehow have been able to do it. Okay, cool. Great for them. Michigan State, all these other teams. First of all, when we talk about COVID-19, Aaron, the important thing to understand is we we're so focused on the kids tests, right? Yes, we talk about the kids. Important. I know. Oh, like the kids, the kids. What about their family? What about their friends? What about their aunt, their uncle, their grandparent? How many people have been impacted that way? Because when one of those people get COVID-19, Aaron, guess who it affects? The kid. Player. Yep how they handle it, how they process it. Okay, now let's go to just the the on-court issue of it. 
the starting and stopping a plane, the mm-hmm. shifting and changing of new new roles. So Rocket Watts, guess what? You're you're replacing Cassius Winston, one of the greatest leaders we've ever had in Michigan State basketball. You're going to be the guy. Okay, but to start, you're not going to have the whole summer. You can't work out the whole summer. So stop. You're not going to. But when we get back, we're going to oh, – then we got to pause. Now we're going to miss games. Uh, and, 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 and the number of guys that you're, you're playing with might not be the guys that you're actually playing with on the court because some of the guys that maybe have been infected, you know, had COVID pauses within Michigan State are guys that are rotational guys. And so, therefore, now you're building chemistry with guys that are never going to actually play in a Big Ten game for Tom Izzo of the Spartans. How hard is that? Where do you want the ball? How do you want the ball? How do you cut? What read do you make when you're making this play? Go back to Rick Majerus. Know who you are as an offensive player. Know who your teammates are as offensive players. Those are step one and step two to Rick Majerus as far as having a great offense. If you're the point guard, that's imperative for you to know. And if you don't know because you don't have practice time, because you're limited in what you can actually do with your team when you do practice, you're not building it. So it takes longer. Mm-hmm. Like, Look at Kentucky's upcoming schedule here. Am I crazy to believe that Mich- that Kentucky could actually run the table here at the end of the season? Well, I got lectured in on the SEC, not, get- to, not to, not to the tournament, not to the SEC tournament, but I'm saying through the remainder of their SEC schedule, I think there's a legitimate chance. Well, I think there's a legitimate chance they could win the SEC tournament when you consider the fact that they've already beaten the teams that are in third, fourth, fifth place needed a miss a, a, a foul call at the buzzer against Arkansas to lose to them. And they were up for at Alabama. But the point is these teams are coming full circle uh, and I, I think the, the the broader point you were trying to make is it's really freaking hard and we take for granted how hard it is on a year-in, year-out basis for just about anybody, but especially these teams that have a lot of new players in the program. All right, and, and I would also say this. One of the things that I think Gonzaga has done a tremendous job on is to taking the right transfers too. The yes. transfer portal is going to continue to be a big, big thing, but taking the right transfers the guys that fill their holes that that are able to come in and some of them have been redshirt like jonathan williams nigel williams goss like you go back to those practices when those dudes were redshirting they were beating the starters and the starters were a one seed in the ncaa tournament hmm. so what does that do as far as competition go you talk to jalen sucks jalen what's been the most important part of your development this year going against andrew nemhard every single day wow. at practice going against aaron cook every day at practice aaron cook is a really good basketball player we saw a little bit of that with the two dunks that he had uh over the weekend against san diego but he can really play and he can defend and so when you have the right mixture of parts and you do your due diligence as a coach it makes the transition a little bit smoother even in a covid year but sometimes you go to the portal because you're filling gaps and you have needs and the guy maybe doesn't fit your culture quite, quite perfectly. And you have to shape and mold them to fit that way. And if they don't, well, then it can be disruptive. You know, I think the Josh Christopher thing at Arizona state this year has been extremely disruptive to Bobby Hurley and the Sun Devils. They came in a year as a preseason top 15 type team and they're nowhere to be found. And they're at the bottom of the PAC 12 conference almost. But part of that is because their season Marcus Bagley's missed games, Josh Christopher's missed games, Remy Martin's missed games. There, there's no synergy. There's no yeah. trust. And you, when you watch them offensively, the ball sticks. Well, why does it stick? Bobby Hurley's team. Bobby was the greatest assist guy in the history of college basketball. And his team's struggling to throw, make assists? Why? Because they don't trust each other. And how do you build trust? It takes time. Get in a serious relationship. Get married. Guess what? It takes time. Trust factor is hard. And it takes time to get there. 
Very good. Very good. A couple quick questions. We'll let you go. Um, you know, first of all, I asked you last time, I said, who are we missing? Who aren't we talking about? And you said Michigan. And you look like a very smart man now. Hate to brag, but I was pretty high on Michigan as well early. But neither here nor there. Who are we missing right now? Who is the team that is just, we need to talk about them. We need to think about them. We need to look at them a little bit more closely. Or teams. I think things have been sorted out a little bit more, sure, to be honest sure, with you. Fair, I, fair. I mean, like we have more, we have more of a sample size. Like, you know, when you look at teams that are outside the top 25 right now that could make serious runs to final fours, I don't see it. Yeah. When you look at the top 25 and you look at the bottom half of the top 25 and you're like, okay, so who out of this is going to make a, a run to the final four? It's not there. It's not there. The, the, to me, the national championship, and I'm not a betting man. I know others might be. Um, I, I, I think you are. A little bit if I Try follow you here. on the gram. If I follow yeah, you on that's the gram. right. People love right. it. But yeah, go but ahead. if you if you put a hundred bucks down on Gonzaga, a hundred bucks down on Baylor, and a hundred bucks down on Michigan, you don't lose. In wow. my mind. Okay. Think think about the think about the lines right now. It's like I think it's plus three twenty five for Gonzaga. That's the that's the one that really you don't win a lot on. Uh, yep. Baylor's like at, at plus seven fifty. And last time I checked Michigan, and they're probably a lot better now than th- than they were, but they were like at plus twelve hundred. So if you put a hundred bucks down on them, and if I said, okay, uh, if if you could get Gonzaga, Baylor, and Michigan versus the field, who are you taking? You would take those three teams for sure, especially yeah. right now with how they're playing. I think Ohio State's really, really good. I think they're really balanced. Are they good enough to make a Final Four? Yes. Are they good enough to to win a national championship and have to beat Baylor and Gonzaga in in forty eight hours? No. They're not, you know, um, are, is Illinois good enough to do it? Sure. Yeah, they are. They're capable of, of winning the championship. Um, Io DeSumo is playing as well as anybody, you know, I mean, when he had his first triple double, it was the first in Sergio McLean, I think in 2001. Now he's got two in the last four games. Yeah. So Io's playing at a national player of the year level. I, the people that had the trophy already engaged for uh, mm-hmm. uh, engraved for Luca Garza better put a pause on that right now because Io DeSumo is going to have something to say about it. Um, and I, th- I think he's charging as hard as anybody. And to Dave Fleming, my broadcaster's point that I worked with on Saturday, at what point in time we talked so much about Corey Kispert. Look at, look at Drew Timmy's numbers over the last okay. eight games. He's averaging 22 points per game and shooting almost 76% from the field. He's actually averaging a more than a point per minute for the last three games. Wow. Okay. Per minute. That's insane. Okay. It's ridiculous what he's doing right now. So I I think, you know, he has to be in the conversation here too. And I, I think he will be. And look, Jared Butler was at that level prior to the pause, I think their pause is just at a really bad time. And we, we've kind of lost sight of what Jared Butler was doing. Um, but look, I, 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 that's where I'm at right now on college basketball. I'm all in on, on Michigan, Gonzaga and Baylor. And I could be completely wrong by the time we get to the end of Indianapolis, but I don't think I will be. I think it's one of those three teams. Well, and that was going to be my final question was how many teams can actually win it. And that's one thing I always say every year. Oh, it's most years. It's so wide open. It's like, it's no, always a one it's, seed. It's five. It's yeah. five at the most right now. And I just yeah. labeled all five, Illinois, Ohio state, Michigan, Baylor, and Gonzaga. Stop. I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I, and I'm with you on Ohio state. I think they're really good. I don't think they can get there. Last question really quick. Just 
everyone's asking, we, we open with conference tournaments, we'll end with the NCAA tournament. Um, I, I think we know how it's going to end based on what you just said. Um, but what do you expect from the event itself? I mean, it, it's such a big, whatever. I, I'll, I'll just shut up. Here's, here's, what I, here's what I expect. I expect that we're going to see some upsets in the first round. Yes, I agree. I think we're going to see chaos in the first round. Then the heavy hitters will dominate the rest of the way, and it'll be a heavy chalk tournament this year in particular. So uh, look for Belmont. Look for Belmont. Find where Belmont is in your bracket and advance them at least out of one game. Casey Alexander's team is outstanding. Uh, look at Toledo. Toledo's a team that can win a game in the tournament. Cleveland State, Dennis Gates has done a tremendous job at Cleveland State. If you're a high major and you're looking at Leonard Hamilton's success at Florida State, and then you close your eyes and you look over and you see Dennis Gates and what he's done at Cleveland State this year, you need to start looking at him as a guy that could raise up and, and shoot up the boards real quick on some of these jobs that are going to open up this year because I think he's done a tremendous job. And he picked the right job. He was patient. He had other opportunities when he was with Leonard but he was patient and he found the job that he thought he could be successful at. And he took a team that was preseason, I think predicted seventh in the conference and they won the conference championship this year in the regular season. They win their conference tournament. They get in. They're a team that's good enough to advance dependent upon where they're seated. So I think we'll see some stuff like that. I think we'll see a 13 seed win. I think we might see two 12s. I think we could see an 11 and a 10. That's not going to be crazy. Uh, and, and then I think after that, it all gets settled down. And in particular, those five teams that I mentioned, they're going to be really strong. I think Villanova's in that next tier. I think Alabama's in that next tier. We, we credit so much their offense, but defensively, Bama's done some good things. Um, I think Missouri has a chance. I think Missouri has a chance. Really? People forget without Jeremiah Tillman, they, they took some losses. Now with Tillman back, you kind of saw what they kind of looked like. Um, I, I, I do think they're good enough to get past the Sweet 16. No. But can they make make it to the Sweet 16? Yeah, I think they can get there, even if they are six six seed or, or a seven seed like that. Um, so I think that's that's where we're at right now in the NCAA tournament. Chalk, chalk, chalk. By the time we get to this, to out of the first first game of the weekend, upsets. Second game of the weekend, chalk. Sean Farnham, dude. I think so. For people who are listening, I think Sean just did three hours. But you were fired up today, man. I don't know if I asked the the right trigger button questions or what. You were you were like ready to go for it. Was like. A Gonzaga the first five minutes of a game before I could even get a word in that the podcast was over listen it comes down to very simple this time of year as much basketball as I've watched being in studio albeit from home with my <laughs> monitor over here to the left from where I'm, I'm talking to you right now uh there's been so much basketball that I've absorbed in this year I think I'm probably more dialed in than I've ever been wow uh because I've had to do things that uncommonly in my preparation to be as connected as I possibly can and I, you know, I, I'm really fired up that we're here. I, I, it kills me that last year we didn't have a tournament mm -hmm. and for anybody's like, should we, can we, what are we? No, no, no. Talk to the kids. That's why I do the players lounge every single Wednesday and Thursday night on ESPN is so that you guys can hear from the kids. Yeah. You know, we've had Kate Cunningham. We've had Colin Gillespie, Jalen Suggs, Corey Kispert, Macy Oteague, EJ Liddell, uh, Herbert Her Jones. Jones. Like, I mean, we're, we're talking to the, the, the best players in the country and when you hear them talk, the sense of normalcy and the sense of joy they get is from competing. And these are all guys that are on teams that are in the top 25 or thereabouts that have opportunities to go play in the NCAA tournament. They're jacked up and ready to go. And, and we should be jacked up covering the sport. We should not be looking for reasons for why we can't 
play. We should not be looking at reasons for why we can find negatives because we can always find negatives. But I will tell you this, in this year's NCAA tournament, there is crazy positives, crazy positives. And we need to understand that and celebrate what all of these kids have gone through. We talk so much about the coaches, but what these kids have gone through because they love this sport. They love college basketball. And they are getting to the Final Four. They are going to have a national championship. It is going to be a spectacular event. And whoever wins the title this year, in my opinion, should go down as one of the best national champions that we have ever seen in the sport. Harken back to my UCLA alma mater and all the wooden trophies that they won. Because this, this champion will have had to overcome a global pandemic no matter who it is, there's been pauses for everybody's schedule for the most part, in particular with the teams that I was talking about at the top. They've all had to hit pauses. And how they handled that and the maturity in which they have demonstrated on the court on a consistent basis needs to be celebrated at an epic level this year. And I, for one, am going to celebrate and enjoy it no matter how it shakes out, whether the three teams I think are going to win it don't. It's not going to bother me one bit. I'm going to celebrate the accomplishments of what everybody's been able to do so far this season. So well said. It it can't be expressed enough. These kids have sacrificed in a way that none of us can ever imagine. Their college experience is nothing like what ours were, our freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year. Uh, Incredible. I know you got to run. Thank you for the time, Sean. Great way to finish. Uh, I appreciate you doing this. I'll talk to you soon, man. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.